Welcome to another episode of EdChoice Chats. I'm Paul DePerna, and I'm here today with authors Drew Catt, EdChoice's Director of State Research and Special Projects, and Albert Chang, Assistant Professor at the University of Arkansas. They're here to discuss their latest work, a new EdChoice report titled, Families' Experiences on the New Frontier of Educational Choice, Findings from a Survey of K-12 Parents in Arizona. So welcome to both of you. It's great to be here with you guys. Uh, thanks, Paul. Yep, thanks. So maybe to just kind of start with the big picture questions, how did you guys become interested in this type of survey project? Maybe, Drew, if you want to go first, and then Albert. Yeah, sure. Well, Paul, as you're aware, I uh, kind of started doing cross-sector parent surveys a few years ago with Indiana, kind of building upon your 2013 survey of Indiana private school parents focusing on the voucher and tax credit scholarship parents. but Along with the co-author at the time, Evan Rhinesmith, we really wanted to dive in to see what differences existed across the sectors. And I was kind of really interested in doing that in Arizona and seeing the responses from the ESA families who, to the best of our knowledge, hadn't really been surveyed since 2013. And that was only two years into the program. The program is currently wrapping up its eighth school year of operation and has expanded the eligibility pool multiple times. So I realized we kind of had the opportunity to see how the perceptions and experiences of ESA families differed from other private school families, including those using one of Arizona's four tax credit scholarship programs, let alone any differences from the ESA families or TCS, tax credit scholarship families, from the charter or traditional public school families. It was kind of great going back and forth over the design of the questionnaire with Albert he had a, a few different interests than I did and added some good questions. I don't know how, how much you want to talk about those, Albert. Yeah, sure. I mean, I can maybe share a little bit about my interest in the project. I think on one level, I'm simply curious about parents' views and perceptions about their schools and, and kind of hearing their voices as they kind of describe what their experiences with educational institutions. I guess maybe if I can digress a little bit and tell a brief story, I was actually at a release event for one of the studies of the Louisiana Scholarship Program, and here we were giving these presentations on outcomes and results that maybe policy folks talk about, and then, you know, a parent came up to me after and said, you know, thanking me for the work that, that we were doing and just expressing how thankful she was for the program because her kid was safe, and it occurred to me that we had looked at all these outcomes and here parents had different priorities and were interested in the voucher program for a different reason. And so ever since that moment, I've kind of resolved to take a deeper dive into what parents think. And so I guess for this project, I was fascinated about simply investigating why parents chose the kinds of schools and educational options they chose. And then, you know, moving beyond what kind of school characteristics they were evaluating or considering when making their choices also asking the antecedent question about what they thought the purpose of education was. And so there are definitely some interesting findings there that I'm sure we'll, we'll have time to get into uh, now or later. <laughs> That's really great to hear about the kind of questions that you and Drew are really interested in exploring for this project. I mean, can you tell us a little bit more, the listeners a little bit more, about the profile of this survey and the, some of the information about the survey populations, when it was fielded, maybe uh, like how big the samples were? Yeah, sure. So this is a survey of parents in Arizona. And so, you know, in the end, we, we actually have a sample of about 3,600 parents across the board. So some of these parents go to uh, traditional public schools. 
some go to charter schools, and we have um, lots of private school parents as well. And so even, you know, dig, drilling a little bit deeper into the private school sector, you've got some parents that are using an ESA to attend a private school. Some parents are participating in the tax credit scholarship program that's in Arizona. And then we have other private school parents who don't use either of those programs. So we have pretty much a large cross-section of, you know, all different types of parents kind of divided by the ways they provide for their children's educational needs. And yeah, we administered a survey. We kind of rolled something out almost a year ago, summer of 2018, through an online survey. And basically, there's, you know, a convenient sample. So, you know, I guess one caveat with, with all the results to keep in mind is this is not meant to be a representative sample of the state. But we were simply interested in, in getting, basically administering a poll to these parents and getting their views about their kids' school life, their educational experience of their kids, what their experiences were in looking for a school and, and how they basically provided for the families in that way. So, uh, you know, but, you know, convenient sample aside, you know, if you look at the demographics, they do look similar to the Arizona adult population. I mean, I suppose we can kind of look at some of the demographic breakdowns by sector, perhaps not surprising charter school and, and private school parents have slightly higher educational attainment and income than parents in traditional public schools, but you know the difference isn't that great. But certainly among private school parents, the folks that use the tax credit scholarship program or an education savings account don't have you know, as comparably as high rates of attainment and household income um, as other private school parents. So, you know, these patterns, I mean, I don't, I don't think there's anything surprising about that. It's probably what we, we generally expect given what we know about, you know, how, how parents choose and which parents enter particular sectors of, of schooling. So would you guys say, even though this isn't, say, like a randomized sample, in terms of representativeness, it, it gets pretty close to those different populations, whether they're in the public district sector, charter school sector, private school. It seemed like the demographics shook out more or less how you would expect it. Yeah. I mean, it's fascinating that, the, again, the demographics do seem to match up. But I guess, you know, we can we can be strict and conservative for ourselves, you know, and to kind of just acknowledge that this was a convenient sample and so, you know, interpret things with a grain of salt. And so following up uh, demographics, I mean, so maybe just getting right to the big question about how satisfied are these parents with their schools, whether in the public or private sector? Yeah, so if we're just talking parental satisfaction of schools, then overall, I would say that charter schools seem to have the comparative advantage with more than four out of five parents or 82% saying they were satisfied. The thing that stood out to me is that 53% of the responding charter school parents were completely satisfied. That would be amazing for any business to say that over half of their customers are completely satisfied. But that aside, so for the other kind of sectors, it was 73% satisfaction overall for the traditional public school parents. And then 72% for the private school parents that did not have a child in the ESA or one of the tax credit scholarship programs. And then the numbers kind of dropped a little with 61% for current ESA and 56% for current tax credit scholarship. And I think it is very important to point out that there are completely satisfied and completely dissatisfied parents in each sector. And uh, personally, I think it's paramount to kind of pull a quote from... uh, the end of the report here, that any one metric for evaluating schools in a diverse educational choice system like the one in Arizona is likely to provide an incomplete assessment of what school choice does for families. So even though, like you said, Paul, that 
satisfaction with school was the big question, it gets a little different, especially when we're talking about ESA families, because not every single ESA family has their child stepping foot into a brick-and-mortar school. Yeah, I think it's worth mentioning, too, that, you know, we did ask a separate question of whether parents were satisfied with the programs themselves, so, you know, whether ESA users and tax credit scholarship users, um, not satisfied specifically with the school, but with the program. And results kind of suggest we've got about three-fourths of parents indicating complete satisfaction or a bit less satisfaction with these programs. So, yeah, it's important to put both these questions and highlight the nuances in the language to paint at least the most precise picture we can get. What are some of the you know, most common reasons parents are choosing these schools, whether a charter, district, private? Maybe, Albert, if you wanted to follow up with that. Yes. We were talking a little bit about this earlier in, in our discussion. So, you know, again, just to brief remind the listeners, we asked two things about the ways parents were choosing schools. One was what their philosophy of education was. Well, you know, basically, we asked them what they believe the purpose of education was. And then we followed up by asking, well, what are some of the school characteristics that you considered when making a decision for your kid? And so what's fascinating is that among public school parents, so this includes district-run schools and charter schools, parents were much more likely to indicate that the purpose of education was preparation for future employment and fostering independent thinking. And, you know, I guess this is probably the most surprising result out of the entire project for me. There's a huge contrast if you consider parents in private schools. And parents in private schools, particularly those that use tax credit scholarship programs or the the education savings accounts, they were actually less likely to believe that education was for preparation for employment and independent thinking and more likely to believe the purpose of education is for moral formation and instilling character. So there's definitely a plurality of views in terms of what parents believe the uh, purpose of education is. And this translates into the way they choose schools. It's probably, you know, given that private school parents believe that the purpose of education is for moral formation, they were more likely to choose schools that emphasize character instruction, choose schools that had a religious environment. You know, and then contrast that with the charter and district-run public school parents who were more likely to consider academic quality in their decision-making process in choosing a school for their kids. So, yeah, we, we definitely have a plurality of views for what parents want out of education, and, and that definitely translates into what they look for when looking for schools. Yeah, and I found it a little fascinating how kind of the ESA parents had a lot of variety in terms of what they thought the top reason was. Uh, so. Really, academics garnered 18% of the parents saying that it was the most influential quality or characteristic. But other than that, there were only a handful that had at least 10%, including the morals, character, values instruction, the safe environment, safety kind of being a big thing that we've been seeing a lot in the news lately. And then the individual one-on-one attention, which I think is, is kind of part of kind of the program design behind ESAs in the first place along with the religious environment instruction and discipline. And kind of one of the things that stuck out to me uh, in terms of these school choosing qualities was that the traditional public school parents seem to value, seem to value convenience, with 20% saying the most important characteristic was the school was close to home or work, and 19% saying that it was their assigned neighborhood school. 
although that could potentially also just be a reflection of where their family chose to live in the first place, if that was even an economically viable option for them. Yeah, something that struck me about, and this is in figure five of the report, one was the evenness of responses among the ESA parent respondents, but then also that right at the top of the figure where you see that 44% of the charter school parents valued academics, which far outpaced any of the other parent respondents from the other categories. So, yeah, it's fascinating. And I think it just really does lend credence more to this, you know, that, that there is just a whole wealth of different reasons why these parents are choosing the schools for their children. And what is a good fit can take on a lot of different meanings. Why don't we talk about school climate, which is something that's pretty new for, correct me if I'm wrong, Drew, you know, something that's a little bit new for us in EdChoice to look at questions around school climate. And those findings were interesting. Yeah. And to be honest, those were some of the things that Albert kind of added into the questionnaire. So I'm going to pivot to him and let him take over talking about the climate results, since that is something that he was more interested in compared to my interest levels. (laughs) <laughs> Although you should be. Um, no, no, no. I, given I, that, I, you know, with... Uh, <laughs> no, I'm, I, 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 I definitely, I kid here. Um, I, I am interested. I just know that <laughs> you're more interested. <laughs> yeah, um, and certainly, you know, school climate, I mean, this is something that folks in educational research have, have focused on for quite some time now. It's just um, obviously hasn't gotten as much attention, you know, in, in the kind of testing and standards and testing accountability era. Although I, I sense that there's been a pivot, and I think among policymakers, you know, with, with ESSA kind of taking the place of No Child Left Behind, given that, you know, states have to incorporate one non-test score-based measure of school quality, I think school climate is something that lots of states are considering to use, you know, measures of this and, and asking students and parents to, to complete surveys about aspects of school climate. So. You know, so what we asked, you know, just to kind of give you a little more more detail about, you know, what aspects of school climate um, are we talking about here? So, you know, these are things like safety, you know, what's the nature of the relationship between the child's teachers and the parents? You know, do the parents feel welcome at school? Do the school staff seek parental input on school programs and events and how things are, are, are run at school? And so, you know, in general, we found quite positive results across the board. I think if there's probably any one big takeaway that, that pops out is that the most positive reports of school climate are among charter school parents. So charter schools seem to beat out district-run schools and private schools in terms of perceptions of school climate as reported by parents. And, you know, this, this is fascinating to, to think about. I know I've done some work with Paul Peterson and other folks at PEPG at Harvard, and, you know, we looked at, you know, again, comparing perceptions of parents between district-run schools, charter schools, and private schools. And, you know, in, in a recent paper, we argued that charters were kind of closing this gap in satisfaction and school climate perceptions that, you know, the gap that existed between district-run schools and private schools. And so here in Arizona, we have something that's even more stark, which is that charter schools are actually beating out schools in the other sectors. So definitely raises a lot of questions to, to consider, you know, what's, yeah, what's going on in these charter schools in Arizona? Um, you know, what ways are they different from charters in other states? And what ways are the other sectors different from other states? So anyway, I, you know, I found it fascinating. Again, in general, the, the reports of school climate were, were quite high across the board, but again, charters seem to, to, to really do a good job on, on this front. Yeah, and I'd seen quite a few articles and blog posts prior to the survey that did tout Arizona's charter sector 
especially when it came to Nape scores. But nevertheless, I also was pleasantly surprised to see this happen. And yeah, kind of as you alluded to, Albert, there's definitely something happening there across the sector that needs further research to fully understand. And, you know, something that I find really interesting about school climate research and survey work is that it really, like you're saying, Drew, it's opening that door to trying to figure out what's happening inside the school building. And it does lead to that research, you know, that's more at the micro level as opposed to the macro, which a lot of times in policy, you know, those engaged in public policy research and so forth, you know, can keep things in the big picture, 30,000 foot level. But these kind of school climate results really does beg the question, like, so what are charter schools doing differently in Arizona for the parents to feel this way about what's going on there and about the engagement that they're getting from teachers and from the school leaders? So no, it's, fa- it's fascinating stuff. I'm glad that, yeah, I mean, I think it's great that that was included as part of this particular project. So maybe shifting gears to thinking about, so going from the school level to programs. So Drew, what did you learn from this work about why parents were using programs or not using the school choice programs in the state? So in terms of the latter, like the not using, this is something I'm kind of looking to dive into further in the coming months. We didn't fully have it in the report. If you're interested, you can go to the report landing page and Click on the top lines questionnaire and see all of the overall findings. But regardless, so yeah, this is something that I really want to dive into. But when asked why none of their children have used one of Arizona's educational choice programs, uh, and then with the descriptions of the ESA and the tax credit scholarship, 41% of all non-participating parents across sectors, so that's the non-program private, the charter, the traditional public, 41% said they were unaware that Arizona had an ESA, or tax credit scholarship programs. I found this especially interesting given all the media attention around the proposed ESA expansion in the past 12 months. Then again, I definitely see more education policy-related news than the average citizen, uh, let alone the average Arizona citizen. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not really sure what this is saying, not to fully compare states or anything, but this is something that was kind of similar to a finding a couple years ago that a co-author and I found in Indiana. Both two very rich choice environments, different states, different programs, et cetera, but it's kind of interesting to see that it's still about two in five of the non-participants saying that they weren't aware that the programs existed. Yeah, you know, and actually, you know, one of the related things that we, we asked on the survey was where did parents get information about their schooling options? You know, I suppose you hear the uh, kind of perennial question that, that, that asks, you know, the kinds of challenges parents face when they're looking for a school that would be a good fit for their kid. And, you know, those, there's definitely challenges with that, and part of that is just being familiar with what's out there. You know, what we asked on the survey was what sources parents use to, to get information about schools. And the majority of parents, or, or actually the, I should say the most common option or source of information, were other friends and relatives of the parents or Internet searches. But, you know, there are other things that matter, too. I mean, we actually found a fair number of parents who rely, you know, got information from other schools, church groups, community centers, or, or other media sources like TV and radio. And so I think this all kind of underscores the need to sustain the kind of social connectedness that would empower parents further to, to really take advantage of the, the kinds of options that are out there. Um, yeah, choosing schools is, is definitely... Uh, no easy task, and, and you know, the healthier and, and more robust we can make our social infrastructure in, the, in our communities and neighborhoods, I think the better we'll be at, at supporting all families that are our neighbors. Yeah, that jumped out to me, too, just how important 
connectivity and the social networks of families are so important for informing their decisions. And so, and that is pretty consistent when it comes to surveys of parents where friends and relatives always holds that top spot as a most trusted source of information. But yeah, that really should inform policymakers and especially you know, policy folks trying to get this information out there. And, and I know that at Choice, we've learned how important getting information in the hands of parents truly is and, and building that trust. So it's not just the information, too. It's about also building those trust networks, too. Mm, yeah. So, yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah, I was extra intrigued at a finding we've seen at a different level in a different state, but the percent of parents that said they, of specifically ESA parents, that said that they found out about the ESA program from their public district school, their neighborhood school, uh, which I think just goes to show that there are educators, regardless of sector, that just want what's best for every single student that they interact with. And some of them realize that that's not always going to be in their classroom. Yeah, you know, we're kind of all, all in this together to, to figure out how to best meet the needs of all kids. Yep. So is there anything else that either of you found and anything that we haven't had a chance to talk about yet that jumped out in terms of the findings or, or even ideas for future research that you might be planning on doing? Well, I don't think we've talked that much about parent involvement. You know, I guess this is maybe um, a, a slightly new thing for EdChoice, kind of like school climate. For part of our survey, we asked a few questions about the ways parents participated or were involved with their kids' education. So, um, you know, we, we asked questions about kind of home-based parental involvement. So do parents read with their kids or, or do math with their kids, you know, participate in, in community service with their kids? And then, um, you know, we asked a, a series of questions about school-based parental involvement. So, you know, to what extent, what, what does communication between school and parent look like? Do parents participate in events and activities, uh, or even, you know, volunteer at, at their child's school. And so, again, you know, these, these, were, these were fascinating findings. And, you know, we, we were asking these just to, again, get a sense of, you know, how choice might affect how parents kind of just engage with their child's education. Yeah, I don't know that. I don't know if, Drew, if you have anything to add about this. I, I wasn't struck particularly about any sector differences in terms of parental involvement. I mean, I'd say, you know, similar to school climate, maybe charter school parents, seem to be more involved on, on some of our indicators, particularly things about communicating with the child's teacher or doing math with their kid at home or reading to their kid at home. Certainly, in volunteer rates were actually higher among parents participating in those programs. So, you know, I, you know it's kind of a, an interesting first look at this, and also part and parcel with this, we did ask whether parents kind of felt more empowered after being able to exercise choice. And Certainly among users of, of the ESAs and tax credit scholarship programs, you know, over half of parents were indicating, you know, greater involvement, greater sense of, of self-efficacy and kind of control over their, their child's education. So, yeah, I mean, these are things to explore further and certainly are, are important in terms of thinking about, you know, what, what choice can, can do to, you know, affect and alter how parents engage with their kids' education and schooling. Yeah, I think it was important to have those kind of cross-sector differences for those questions. But I'm, I was also really glad that we kind of had for the ESA and tax credit scholarship families kind of a, a compared to baseline, if you will. Like we asked them compared to the school that your child was enrolled in prior to participating in the program, 
how have your activity levels changed across all of those things that you just mentioned. So so instead of being an amount of time, like fairly often, somewhat often, et cetera, it was compared to the previous school much more often to, to really try and get into, look, how are these programs changing not just students, but how are how is program participation changing parents? How is it changing the adults that touch the program as well? And so I think those results were definitely encouraging. And, and yeah, as, as someone who's studied philanthropy quite a bit in the past, I was definitely encouraged by the findings related to uh, community service and volunteering. Okay. Yeah, that's great. So I'm thinking, you know, before we wrap things up, if you guys could pick, you know, at least like one audience that you're trying to reach through this work and kind of thinking through their eyes and from their perspective, what would you say for that audience, whether it's a policymaker or researchers, the media, parents, educators, other stakeholders, what would be a big takeaway that they should take from this and perhaps even to inform their future activity? Yeah, I would say kind of, okay, so the audience, first and foremost, I would say the, if the audience were policymakers and wonks, and part of this is a carryover of doing a lot of work on the one, two, threes of school choice here at Ed Choice Paul, but it's, it's again, kind of taking the same quote from the conclusion of our report that I had earlier that any one metric for evaluating schools is likely to provide an incomplete assessment because it's not just about one thing or another like yes we we ask about parent satisfaction but we also ask about parent involvement and it's you can't just kind of zoom in on one aspect of a picture and think that you understand the picture it's important to look at all the pieces that come together and it's important to to ask all the questions of all of the consumers. It's not just asking the students and evaluating the students on a single test. It's not asking the teachers, asking the administrators, or asking the parents. It's, it's how do we really measure any policy? And it's how do, we, how do we have the full picture and look at everything from every angle? I, I don't have the best answer. I'm just saying that it's it's important to look at everything from all sides to kind of fully understand it. And that's definitely true when it comes to educational choice, something that's very, very personal to every single family and for every child in every family. There's no one one size fits all approach to anything when it comes to education from what I've seen and from what we've researched. So it's it's especially the folks in Arizona, it's it's look at what's best for each family, not try to decide what's best for every family. How about you, Albert? Well, you know, I've been um, on other projects working closely with school leaders in, in various independent schools to working on some aspects of the programming. And, you know, what, what I think what, again, what struck me most in the survey was the plurality of views about what education is for. Some parents expressing how they, you know, their belief that you know, education is mostly preparation for employment, future employment, or independent thinking, and yet other parents who viewed education as a moral project. And, you know, again, this, this, again, this highlights a plurality of views, a plurality of priorities. And I know there's uh, a pressure that certain school leaders face to want to conform to what other schools are doing. They like to copy the programming of other schools, the mission of other schools, the ways of doing things to, to try to attract parents. 
But, you know, I think if I had anything, uh, any bit of advice, and I guess this is kind of coming up in, in a lot of conversations that I've, I've had recently with school leaders, is to avoid the pressure to conform. You know, don't be, I guess, um, in, you know, in Star Trek, like the Borg, right? I mean, you know, <laughs> don't, uh, don't assimilate. Um, lots of parents have different things, different priorities. And, you know, I encourage school leaders to be true to their mission, true to their work, their particular kind of uh, philosophy of education, the, the means and ends that their schools were founded upon. So now, of course, you know, there's room for entrepreneurship and innovation. But, you know, it's, it's also important to realize that there's a plurality of views out there. You know, school leaders, by, by being true to themselves and being distinctive, can really serve uh, an important need that, that's out there. So I, th I think, you know, that's probably, you know, the, the top thing I, I would want to lay out on the table from this report. And to kind of follow up on that, it's kind of interesting that that, that plurality still exists with schools participating in these programs. It's not, we're not seeing one type of school participating necessarily. Yeah. Yeah, I think that jumps out to me too as a reader and, and really appreciating the work that you both have done for this report and for this project. It's just, it screams out to me that you know, differentiation is needed to meet all of these different needs and desires and, and views about what a meaningful education is for children. So this is great. Okay, well, that's going to wrap up this edition of EdChoice Chats. For all you listeners out there, be sure to check out the description of this podcast for a link to Drew and Albert's new report. And be sure to subscribe to EdChoice's channel on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher. If you have any questions or comments about this or other research publications, please don't hesitate to reach out to us on social media. You can find us at EdChoice. Thank you again for your time today and for listening. Thank <laughs> you.